Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a repeat guest, and he's got to be one of my favorite all-time guests. I mean, I've never told him that, but now he's finding out probably as he listens to the intro for the first time. And every time he messages me, I don't know why, it's like we're old hunting buddies or, uh, you know, he's a guy that I've known for a long time. But we, we text or message quite a bit with updates on life, seeing how the other person's doing. And on this episode, we're going to be recapping a lot of stuff that's happened for Jim over the past few months since our first podcast together. And it has everything to do from his house getting destroyed to recapping a hunt, looking forward to a future hunt, changes in the land that he he currently hunts on. And yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go a lot of different directions. I'm really excited about it. So... Let's jump in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I am constantly getting asked about the gear that I'm using, and the great news is that I've got it all listed out on Go Wild. Now, if you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you how you can get a $10 gift card to use toward picking up some new gear. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored. They're actually encouraged. So much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And back on the show with me is Jim Matat. Now, I know since the last time we talked, Jim has had a ton of stuff going on in life. So I'm going to be hearing about a lot of this for the first time along with you guys. But Jim, welcome back on the show. I'm excited for this one. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm, I'm really appreciate you getting me back on. And uh, we have had a few things change. And I think it'll be interesting for the viewers or listeners, excuse me, to uh, hopefully they find it interesting anyway. So I think they will. Start? <laughs> I think I think our last show together was a huge hit. And so I can't imagine this one's going to be any different. Um, I don't know where you want to start because you've had everything from trees falling through your house to property going bye bye to an amazing hunt and more hunts to look forward to. So um, I think I'll just let you start and share whatever you want to. All right. Right. Well, away. All right, Dan. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you again for having me on again today. And, and how how to give you props on your, uh, you, on your TikTok videos. Uh, anybody hasn't seen Dan's dancing and uh, it has merited a little look. It is better than it was. Uh, so and yes, yeah, so a lot has changed. Uh, I 
last time I was on, we, we talked about background and everything. I'm not going to go through all that. I've been a lifelong hunter and, and fisherman and outdoorsman. Uh, we did have a uh, 60 foot oak fall through our tree here a few weeks ago or through our house and do about $50,000 damage. And uh, thank God that I'm old enough to know guys that know something. So we got that taken care of uh, quite, uh, quite quickly. Uh, so living through that, we're looking forward to my bear hunt. So we get, we went up to uh, Ontario this year, to Little River Lodge. This is the second time I've been there. Uh, it was postponed three times now for COVID. And we finally, they let us in Canada. And, and uh, so that was all good. Uh, we, it's first spring hunt. So I didn't realize how uh, the mosquitoes or the black flies would be, but I found out real quick that there wasn't a lot of black flies because the mosquitoes are so big, they eat them, I believe there. <laughs> uh, without the thermal cells, you could not survive. And there's a plug for a product. If you've never used that, get one because it's uh, it's a game changer for spring hunts. I'm sure turkeys too, it, it uh, really helped. Yeah, so, what model What model thermocell do you have? Uh, they make a brand new one that's actually has a little light on it, tells you when the little cone is ready to go. I can't think of a, uh, I'll probably think of it before I get done here, but they do make a brand new one. Uh, very, very economical. They're, they're really cheap and easy to run and uh, they run a long time. So if you're hunting in the spring, man, you got to have that. Yeah. So the biggest adventure was getting to Canada, getting across the border. We had a couple of incidents here, but we got in and we're driving up and I had my friend Mike from Pittsburgh and we hunt together. And uh, so we're driving and it's like 10 o'clock at night and we're about an hour from the camp we're staying at. And as you get into Northern Ontario, you'll find out real quickly that once the sun goes down, people don't go out too much because as I find out later, there's so many animals on the road that they kind of stay away from. Them. So we're driving along and all of a sudden uh, we flipped up the high beans on this corner and a old big bull moose come right out, almost hit us. Uh, oh my God. And I don't know how, I don't know how we missed it and talk about a heart attack. My goodness. And we stopped our truck right in the road and the moose stopped right next to us and looked at us and uh, their horns are out a little bit now. And he just walked away and wow. We drove about 30 miles an hour all the way to our camp after that. So well, we started to bear hunt. Like I say, it was spring, so we uh, really wasn't sure how the bugs were going to be. And we had a heck of a heat wave in the Northeast that actually come all the way into Canada. So our first two or three nights there were 80 degrees hunting in the tree stands. I mean, it was just warm. Uh, so the bears aren't moving. And, you know, I have found many years, uh, after many years of hunting, if the weather is like that, if I'm, I don't want to move, most likely animals aren't moving either. So we'd sat, we sat on bait uh, two or three nights and uh, there wasn't anything moving at all. And the second night coming out of my stand, I had about a quarter mile walk back to a dirt road where the uh, uh, Carson, our outfitter, he picked me up uh, on the road with his truck. So I'm coming out when we hunted to like 9.30 at night, it was pretty dark. So you're coming out and you got your head net on or you wouldn't survive. And you got your rifle over your shoulder, you got your flashlight, you got all this stuff, bait bucket, you're walking out and the trail is really rough and it's really all over the place, rocky. And I get about just about three or 400 feet from the road 
and I see this real big black thing standing on the trail. And I said, oh my God, there's a bear on the trail. So I flipped up my flashlight. It's a freaking bull moose. Oh my God. And we're about maybe 10 yards from each other. And I don't know if you've ever seen one, but I'm looking up at this moose and he's just looking at me and uh, I don't know. I don't know who was more. <laughs> I just, my heart was beating about 200 beats a minute. And he finally stepped off the trail. He looked back at me a couple of times and he started to run a little bit. And then he took off and I could hear him breaking brush for two minutes down through the woods. So that was quite an experience. And I never, never expect that's the last thing I ever expected to see was that. I thought sure it was a bear, but it was a moose. So, well, and you're a big guy. Imagine if a guy <laughs> my size saw that, you know, <laughs> imagine how much bigger it would seem. Oh my God. It was crazy. So I got back out to the truck and I told Carson what I saw. And, and then the next night he picked me up and we saw this, I'm pretty sure the same moose. He was running up the road in front of us on a dirt road. So we went about three days of 80 degrees. And finally, you know, my buddy Mike was getting a little discouraged. I said, well, we got to wait till the weather breaks. Nothing's going to move, I don't believe. And finally the weather broke and we both got bears that night. Nice. Uh, I got a uh, really nice bear, uh, about 220 pounds, I would think. And Mike's about a hundred pounds more. Uh, he got a real bruiser and uh, that was fun. So we, we both got bears and uh, I got to skin them both and got them all prepped and stuff. And uh, there is a really big need in that area for uh, donation of meat and stuff like that. So we donated both the bears uh, to, to a bunch of families up there and they were extremely appreciative. So that was good to do. So. So we come back from the bear hunt and uh, it was all good. And so I decided on my way back that uh, we want to go on a moose hunt. So I didn't want to be one of those guys at 90 years old saying, you know, man, I wish I went on that moose hunt. So now we're going to go. So I uh, started putting feelers out for outfitters and I had, oh my God, I don't know how many people on this moose site that I have. uh, coming in and you know everybody has their own where they like to go the yukon alaska uh, uh, territories i mean uh, newfoundland or newfoundland or what side of the rock you live on that's how you say it i guess uh, so i looked into it and the yukon is where i like to go but at the twenty thousand plus hunt yeah. basically so it's very expensive uh, you can self, I don't know if you can self guide in Alaska anymore. I still think you have to, on a big game, you probably still have to have a guide. So um, I think I, cause me and a buddy, Sean looked into that. Cause that's my number one bucket list hunt is an Alaska, uh, moose hunt, it's like self guided, um, basically get dropped off on a, in a float plane. Um, and then you float out, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles back to wherever they're going to pick you up. And for moose, you do not have to have a guide at this really? point. Yep. Uh, right now, I believe it's for grizzly, mountain goat, and doll sheep. I think those are the big ones, or stone sheep. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, those are the big ones that you have to have a guide for. But yeah, as far as I know, moose, you still do not have to have a guide. Well, I don't know if I would. <laughs> You'd probably be a little younger, a little braver than me, maybe to go on that hunt. But I don't know if. Uh, but uh, it, it does sound interesting. It would be such a uh, Yukon. I've, I've 
watch that forever, but that's just out of reach for, you know, guys like me. I mean, I just can't afford to go in and hunt. Uh, putting out the number I did for the Newfoundland hunt was enough. So we've, we've got through that. So anyway, so Newfoundland, I, uh, we kind of figured out that's where I want to go. And so I contacted a bunch of guides and outfitters and, and I got to say, they got back to me immediately, uh, which is really good to hear. Uh, everybody got their own pitch. Uh, there wasn't a lot of big difference in money. Uh, the only thing, they have mountain caribou there. And I guess that's the only place in North America you can hunt them. Hmm. And that's why they cost $25,000 for a tag. Jeez. Now, think about that for a second. <laughs> no, thank you. So I, don't, I won't be hunting mountain caribou, and, and I hope I don't... Uh, get a chance to shoot one but uh, you can get bear tags for six eight hundred bucks you know on top of your moose tag so uh there's a lot of really good youtube videos on uh, newfoundland hunting and guiding and it just looks spectacular and there are a lot of moose there so so hopefully uh if things work out not this fall but the following fall we'll be uh going to finland and uh they say to drive up because the the drive is the adventure getting there because from here to there is uh, two countries and a couple of ferry rides and, uh, you know, it's about 14, 1500 miles from where we are. So Dang. that looks very interesting. Yeah. That would be a trip all in its own. I see some of these people that go out on big hunts and I'm like, I feel like the vacation and the adventure of just the traveling aspect of it would be worth the money. Yeah, and that's then, what they say. Don't fly here unless you have to, because the uh, the trip is really spectacular. So we'll see. You know, I'm yeah. look, looking forward to it. So what what is the uh, subspecies of the moose up there? That is Canadian moose. It is okay. Yes. So you I get was like, I, I was trying to remember. I know that like Colorado, they've got Shiras moose. Yes. And then I I know there's the Alaskan or the Yukon but I just didn't know what the other moose species were. Yeah, actually, I was just reading something the other day. There's, there's, they have really uh, found out for sure there, there are Canadian moose in, uh, in, in North America, in the United States now. Uh, so they've been sneaking down with the Shiras moose. So it's real interesting. So New York has a, we have quite an active uh, moose population in New York. Yeah. And we're, expecting a lottery hopefully within a couple of years of uh, taking you know somebody get you know, get a shot at them so that would be kind of cool but uh, that that's got to be one of the less um completed like slams of all big game slams like to get all four subspecies of moose yeah i don't yes. know that it would be as challenging maybe as getting like you know the waterfowl slam but as far as just getting the tags, the price for those tags, the places that you have to travel to in order to complete it, like that's that's a lot of work just to get four different moose down. It is. I mean, yeah, so you think about that. That would be that would be a uh, lifetime of hunting right there, probably. Yeah. You know, that that's a lot. That would be cool. But they uh, they average forty some fifty inches actually on New Finland or Fallon. Dang. Which is, you know, people say, well, 50-inch moose, that's a big moose. That is. Yeah. They they count points on, on them. Like a lot of guys would just cover just, you know, all oh, their 60 inches. But uh, most of the ones out there, they count points on, and, God, they get some 25, 26-point moose, which are really spectacular. So, 
Yeah, that's moose is one of those animals that it's really fascinating to me and it has my interest completely. And maybe it's because I know so little about them. You know, they, I mean, if you look at them, they're like an alien. I mean, they're just such a crazy looking animal, but then even scoring them, like you said, some people count the points, some people go off of inches. A lot of it has to do with like how wide the uppers are or how many points are just on the lower paddles. And so there's so many aspects to it and you can get all different types of looking moose, you know, like if you want one that's just real wide at the tops, that's sweet. And then if you want one that has a good spread or lots of points and really long points, although longer points don't necessarily mean that it scores more. Um, I don't know. They're, they're just so fascinating to me. Well, what I found really interesting is the night we almost hit the moose. Uh, we didn't see the moose in the headlights. So I did a little research. So the night that I saw the moose on the trail, I, I have a really, really good flashlight. 2500 lumen flashlight Dang. and i hit that moose right in the eyes and the only thing i didn't see anything until he turned his head and they go red now like a deer uh, which is really eerie looking so <laughs> i said god i wonder why so i me I, I can't help myself i got on google did a ton of research and where regular deer uh whatever the pigment that causes their eyes to glow is in the front of their eyes well when the moose is in the back and their head is so wide that their their eyes are on the side of their heads. So they basically have to turn their head to actually see any kind of eye, and uh, which I find really really interesting. So yeah, they are they are animal. I mean, uh, the way they run, the way they uh, my God, I mean, uh, it, they're just scary. I mean, especially uh, now seeing one so close, I just can't wait to have. Uh, uh, rifle in my hand when I see one. So, well, and I, I can't imagine walking out like that, coming face to face with one. Like this time of year is one thing, but the rut, I mean, they're oh, fearless. Yeah. They, I hear <laughs> stories about them charging trains because of how territorial they are. Yeah. And they'll just go and, I mean, kamikaze themselves right into the front of a train because they're, they get so enraged. And I, man, yeah. It's a good thing it was this time of year. When yeah, he them. was very calm and just kind of took off. But you're right, if it had been the fall, uh, their rut longs, runs long, too. It runs like from early September to end of October. Jeez. Uh, they, they, they rut for quite a long time. So most of the guides I've spoken with up there, it says really just pick a week. And in that time, they're, they're really no big, uh, you know, they, they run a long time. So. Do you know, is, is that because of like the, how sparse they are or how like low the population of moose is that it just takes them so long to find one another and to successfully breed? I don't know. That's a good, that, that is a very good question uh, because there are a lot of moose there. Uh, their, their concentration of moose is very, very high. So I, I think there's no problem with, with but I don't know. Uh, so I've been practicing my moose calls. So I'm I'm ready to go call. I want to call one myself. So, uh, so of course, along with the moose ha- moose hunt, uh, I got to have a new rifle. So, I'm getting a 300 Win Mag. I'm not sure what. I think another Weatherby. So that's exciting. Uh, it's always good to put another, <laughs> another one in the gun safe. So. <laughs> For real. No equipment. Uh, 
it's very wet there by the look. So just a good pair of boots and some waterproof stuff, I think, which I have all that. So, but uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That'll, you know, so. But one of the things that's going on besides all the hunting and the hunting talk is that. Uh, before, before we get into that, I don't want to let you get away without sharing your moose call with us. Cause you said you're getting I'll pretty you, good. You, you want to give us your best moose call? Actually, I have a pretty good one. So before I get off today, I'll, I'll let it fly for you. Okay, me. sweet. I've been listening to him on TV. It drives my dog. My dog will run and hide. So that doesn't tell you it's pretty good. <laughs> Things that's going on. I, when I talked to Dan the first time, I was telling him about hunting uh, 50, 51 years of hunting seasons on the same property. Well, that property now is uh, being sold. Uh, I am actually a quarter owner of it and the other owners we've decided to uh, basically on knowing when it uses it taxes are higher every year so we come to the conclusion is that it's time to sell and it's been very hard on me you know, I've hunted that property my whole life and been extremely successful uh, so it's going to be very interesting not to have that place to hunt but as the town Dan I, I think uh Maybe it's a good thing to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And uh, I have other places to, to hunt. Uh, I was telling him I uh, got a hold of Doug Duran from Meat Eater and I wrote him a nice letter and said, please add me to your list of hunting on your property. And he says he has. So uh, one of these days, that'll be another story if I get that call, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's uh, cool. But uh, I, I have a gun club that I'm, you know, part of that uh, guys hunt on and, but it's, uh, I think the biggest thing, at, especially at this point in my life, uh, you know, I, I told my wife that uh, just take that money that I pay in taxes and I'm going to go somewhere and hunt every year. So it'll be, now it's, you know, it's time to go out and maybe get moose off the list and maybe uh, who knows what's next. Uh, you know, I've killed a lot of whitetails and uh, maybe, maybe an elk, maybe elk hunting. Uh, I went out to Colorado very early nineties with, uh, some friends of mine. Well, they turned out to be my brother-in-law's now, but they weren't at that time, uh, on a bow hunt for elk. Uh, we didn't really, we saw, actually saw a couple elk and it was, saw some mule deer and I uh, never got anything, it was, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to go to Colorado and, you know, hunt, the, you know, hunting the big woods out there. So that may be something coming down the road, but the, uh, oh, as far as hunting, uh, this year, I, uh, looking really to hunt more bow this year. I think I'm a crossbow and my crossbow I really, really like, and, uh, anybody who's got one of the newer crossbows can attest how, what a good weapon it is. It's just a lousy, uh, stalking weapon hunting that way. It's top heavy, uh, it, it just isn't a great uh, carrying weapon. Uh, so it's more of a stand weapon, I think, for me anyway. Uh, it is a little hard to walk around with. But, so I'm looking forward to that and doing a lot of shooting. Uh, I shoot a lot of handguns, and so we're keeping busy doing that. But uh, the main thing is the day I sign those papers, it's going to be a tough day for me because yeah, that's been my whole whole life, basically, childhood and growing up and hunting. and. Uh, you know, raising my boys are hunting and, you know, and just mentored a lot of hunters on that property too. So 
But, you know, I, I think like Dan and I spoke before, we never really own anything in, the, in our life. We've, we kind of rent it or lease it or whatever you want to say. And eventually we're going to go away and somebody else is going to get it, you know? Yep. So hopefully the next people will, you know, take care of it and do good things with it. But uh, maybe, yeah, you know, just... I think it's time. I've, I've come to the realization that it's maybe time to do this. So. Yeah, we just get to be stewards of everything. Right. And, you know, I talk, we talk about that all the time. In fact, a pastor that I had, he said the same thing. He's like, even my family, you know, my wife at one point was not my wife. You know, she was somebody's baby girl. And now for this period of time until we die, like she's my wife and my kids and like everything in life comes and goes. And land is the same thing in I know a lot of people have adopted that the saying, you know, it's not ours. It's just our turn when it comes to land and property, public land, private land, it's just our turn. And so we've got to do what with it, what we can while we can, and then hope that we've left it in a state where other people can continue to use it when we're done or that we've put the right people in power to where our public lands stay public long after we're gone. So that, I can't I can't even imagine how difficult that would be being on a property 51 years and all of the memories like knowing where certain types of trees are and and where the deer like to come through or the acorns drop or the squirrels are always chattering near this tree like all of those experiences and encounters and then all of a sudden to not have that available I mean I've been hunting the same property in Wisconsin since before I could hunt. I mean, I would go and sit on a bucket or on a dead stump next to my dad. And so, I mean, really that's only been 25, 26 years. So half the time that you've had yours and even my family as a whole, they've probably only been on that property for 35 to 40 years. And we would all be extremely devastated to lose that. So my heart goes out to you, man. That's, that's a tough one to swallow. And it was, oh, look at the money you're making. Oh, it's got to be, <laughs> you know, I never looked at it that way. Land is land and, you know, the money is, you know, it'll be money. And I'll, I'll use it for something and I'll go on a hunting trip here and there with it, I'm sure. But uh, it's still, it, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be really strange not to, uh, you know, drive up there and, and hunt. Uh, it's just been ingrained into me my whole life. And uh, yeah the people that are getting at their property actually connects to ours. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good move on their part. And uh, so, but uh, they've asked me if I wanted this and and I don't, once I make the break, I'm gone. Yeah. That'll be it. So I have, uh, I'll move on and in other properties and uh, well, hey, get the moose hunt out of the way. So we're going to do, we're going to do another bear hunt in spring. So we're, we'll be going back to Canada next spring with uh, my son and uh, Mike and his son, hopefully. There'll be four of us going back. Nice. And then after that, we'll have the moose hunt. And uh, they have some pretty big black bears there in New Palma. And you can pick up a black bear tag for like $600. You can buy the tag or the, ta- or the camp has tags. And if you see, you can hunt them. So that might be an opportunity. Uh, but the mountain caribou were so cool. But God, fifteen the, the cheapest one I saw was fifteen thousand dollars for a tag. Jeez. And there's some 
So there's a couple outfitters getting 35,000 for a tag. Like I say, it's the only place you can hunt them in, in North America. It's crazy. So I guess there's a lot of them there too. So I can't, I can't imagine like the amount of, I, I look at things all the time in, in a matter of either experience or possession, like when it comes to spending money. Right. So I'm like, all right, I can either spend $10,000 on a really cool experience and I'll have the memories forever. Or maybe I spend $10,000 on a pair of four wheelers that I can ride around and make my own experiences with $35,000. Like <laughs> I could have a lot of fun with that yeah. kind of money. Uh, and I just don't know that I could drop that all on one single hunt. That'd be tough. And I watched, yeah, I watched a lot of YouTube and whatever you think of YouTube, some of the hunting stuff is pretty good. Uh, some of my favorite stuff, though, is the guys that do it themselves, like real amateurs. That yeah. is hysterical. <laughs> uh, there's, I won't mention any names, but there's a couple of guys I follow just because the content is, you know, the cameras fall out of the trees. They're, they're, hold on. You know, did you find my YouTube late. page? They spill, coffee, they spill coffee on themselves. I mean, it's crazy. And, and what's crazier is they get deer. Yeah. They got a lot of deer. So, hey, my first deer. I had just zipped up my pants from taking a leak out of my tree stand. I was so frustrated because I had shot at a buck, hit a branch that I didn't see. And I went and looked for blood, couldn't find any at all. And I'm like, what happened? It was close. I should have been able to hit it. As I'm walking back to my tree stand, I see this branch. that's about an inch in diameter just hanging there. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm, I'm really upset at this point. I get up in my stand and I'm like, huffing and puffing, making all kinds of noise, fidgeting. I have to pee. I'm like, screw it. It doesn't matter. No deer coming in. I just shot. I take a leak, zip my pants up and look in front of me. And there's a deer right in front of me. And so <laughs> as stupid, as stupid of choices as you make out there, never underestimate a deer. Like they can be the smartest and dumbest animals all at the same time. And it I worked out. A, I mean, uh, I shot that deer at five yards. So we have had this discussion many times in, in a group of guys about uh, peeing out of a tree stand and the science part of it goes that when you, when you pee in the woods 15 minutes later, it's just urine. It's not human scent. Yep. Uh, so it is what it is that way. I have a friend of mine uh, that uh, a few years ago, got a great piece of property. He's out the uh, first day of deer season. and He spent way too long in his camp and had way too much to drink, got out there late and got up to his ground stand and, he says, oh, my God, he had to go to the bathroom so bad. It was terrible. He said he pees for like five minutes, goes, sits in his stand. He's 10 feet away, falls asleep and uh, wakes up. He looks, and there's an eight point 10 feet from licking the pee off the ground. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> the argument, can, people, I know people that will bag it and do all this stuff. Uh, over the years, I'm convinced that uh, once it's in the wind a little bit, it's fine, but yeah, it does make a great story though. It's interesting to see things like that. Cause you know, growing up, you might hear one thing, your, your parents or grandparents or hunting buddies always did it a certain way. And so you're like, Oh man, I've got to do it that way. That's the only way. One of those things for me was gut piles. After we shoot a deer and gut it out out there in the woods, we would bury it at least under a good layer of leaves because we didn't want that just exposed and the deer smelling it 
I watched a video and they did a study on it and I don't remember what platform it was on. Maybe it was YouTube and they, they put a fresh gut pile out in the woods with a couple trail cameras over it. And they did this in multiple areas, different terrains. And, um, I think they said, I think it ended up being nine, nine out of 10 times a deer was the first one to come into the trail camera on that gut pile. And I was like, man, there's no way. I thought for sure it would have been a coyote or a raccoon or something. But they're like, no, nine times out of ten, a deer is the first one to come and investigate. Um, the only reason I still cover up my gut piles now is because of crows. They find it, and once they do, they, they find it's it. so annoying. And so I just said, screw it. I'm going to keep covering it up even, oh, even I have a, the data. I have a great gut pile story. I shot this buck many years ago, opening day, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. It was warming up that day. So I went down, gutted the deer, left the deer for 45, 50 yards to my stand, gut pile right next to him, got back in the stand. And 10, 15 minutes later, here comes three doe down the exact same trail. They step over the dead deer almost, sniff the gut pile and move on. An hour later, another buck comes down, walks over top of the dead deer, sniffs the gut pile, and moves on. And no consequence whatsoever. And uh, the next day, I come back to the same stand. The gut pile is completely gone. Yep. Coyotes have come in. Everything's come in. You know, whatever vermins are out there, they just clean it up instantly. Yeah. So, I've, I've, I've had a similar story to that. Uh, well, actually, this last year, my nephew came and sat with me. And it was his first year going, sorry, he sat me with me like one morning the year before, but he actually was coming out to sit for a long time. Now he's got his hunter safety. So he's going out for his first hunt this year. And I'm super excited nice. about it, but we were sitting there and we had these two does come in. So I shot one of them. It ran across the property line. We went and grabbed it and brought it back over just so, you know, we got that out of the way and didn't disturb the neighbors at all. And a little while later, a doe comes in, goes right over the top of the one that I just shot. I mean, couldn't even care less. I mean, she looked at it for a second and then just kept walking, didn't get spooked at all. But the best story like that that I have, I shot I shot a buck. It looked like it was a really good eight. And my uncle had just killed a buck and a doe. So he he's had bad knees for a while. And so I would go and help him gut him and drag him out to the truck, get him on the hitch hauler, all that stuff. And we're standing there. We had just gutted and drug the doe out and we were working on the buck and my shotgun's 10 yards away, leaning against a tree. And I look up and here comes this deer through the woods and we're talking as loud as you and I are. And I'm like, Mark, there's a deer. And he's like, Oh, whatever. Ha ha. I'm like, I'm serious right there. There's a deer. And he's like, grab your gun. Hurry. I go over, get my gun. The doe runs through and I see something coming behind her and it's this little fork. And I was like, oh, man. All right, watch that one. Here comes another buck and another buck and another buck. The fourth buck, all I could see was the right side of its antlers, and it was a nice four-point side. And I pull up on that thing, just a bead sight on the end of my shotgun. I still have the shotgun. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I, I've shot slugs and birdshot. I don't recommend that, especially on the new ones. But uh, shoot this buck. Boom, drops in its tracks. I'm celebrating, so excited. Another buck comes through, and this is a big 10-point. And then another buck comes through, and this is a big 12-point. And it just, it was crazy. It was like you could see 
the evolution of a deer year to year as they came through hmm. small, bigger, 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 biggest. And yeah, the final buck, 12 points, literally stood over the top of my buck, sniffed it, looked down at us and made eye contact. And this whole time I'm just shaking with my shotgun. <laughs> Mark, I want to shoot it. I want to shoot it. Well, in Wisconsin, you can party hunt. So like I could shoot one for my dad as oh, long as he's can. within earshot. And we all hunt the same 40 acre chunk. And so he was definitely with an earshot and he's like, it's up to you. It's up to you, Dan. And I was like, I can't do it. I told him this morning, I yelled at both my parents, which I shouldn't have done. I was like, do not shoot my deer. I want to shoot my own deer. And then of course I've got an opportunity to shoot theirs and now I can't do it. And, uh, we get back from that hunt and, Mark's like, well, why don't you tell him what happened? So I did. And the first word out of both my mouth, both my parents' mouths were, why didn't you shoot it? We would have tagged it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny spending thousands and thousands of hours, in, you know, hunting and in tree stands and ground blinds and, you know, early days, just sitting in the woods and whatever. Uh, I was out one time and I just, I, I used to build, before they made really good tree stands, I would build my own and my friends could attest that uh, I never spent a lot of, uh, you know, you had to have some athletic skill to get in my tree stand <laughs> and buddy, but I remember being in his stand and uh, uh, had lunch with me and uh, ate an apple and I threw the apple cord down in the woods. And about 20 minutes later, I just, I see this small spike horn coming up through and stops on that uh, apple core, picks it into his mouth, walks by me with the apple core in his mouth and walks right out of the, you know, just goes by and takes off. Like, <laughs> Thank you. And uh, crazy stuff like that. Uh, you know, we, I, where, I, where I worked the last 20 years or before I retired, we, we had a lot of guys that hunted. So you, hear, you had every hunting opinion in the world uh, and all of them were right. According yep. to them. and we were talking about tree stands one time and i had a friend that said well you got to build a tree stand stay away from it for a year then hunting and i said that's the craziest thing i ever heard and, and uh oh well yeah my friend said this and that well about two weeks before that i was putting a new tree stand in up on my property so i went up in the middle of the day it was just in the bow season so it was still pretty warm went in the middle of the day took my chainsaw, cut some brush, cut a couple boards, put the tree stand up, left the chainsaw and the gas can in the woods. So that night I'm going to come back. I'm going to sit in that stand till dark and I'll take everything out with me. Wasn't in the stand 45 minutes. Great big four point comes through. I zipped him right there. And so deer's dead. There's my chainsaw. Everything's <laughs> sitting in the woods. Absolutely didn't care about any of that. So, you know, you got so many, you know, this is the, tried and true stuff and uh it is tried and true for yourself i guess because uh, you know the different experiences and the stuff that i've seen or somebody else will say oh god that can't happen or you got to do this and, you know it, that's the greatest part about getting guys together and talk about hunting though because uh, everybody's stories and perspectives and you know how they learn to hunt and uh you know their father did this and grandfather did this and you know i was lucky i had a dad that was uh very good hunter and but he let us you know experience it wasn't a lot you got to do this this and that gun safety okay 
and go from there. Yep. Get out there and experience that. You know, it's amazing how strong of opinions people have on deer hunting. When I've been a part of hunts that are 100% opposite one another and they've still been successful and people need to get out of their mind that there's only one way to do it because there's not like you could drop me in the woods in Wisconsin in just about any outfit. I mean, I could be in a glittery pink like ballet outfit and probably get a deer and there's people who argue and fight to the death over what camo pattern you have to use to shoot a whitetail. Same thing with scent control, oh, rifle no. setup, optics. Or, or caliber. Name. Calibers. My God. Oh, I yeah. Just fight over that. Oh, it's insane that, yeah, people just go after each other over what caliber you use. And it's like, if if it works, who cares? Like Take the I, shot. That's all you got to do. <laughs> I talked to, like, my grandparents or my wife's grandparents, they used to shoot deer with a twenty-two. Oh, yeah. Like, growing up, that was very common. People would go out. You could get ammo way cheaper. You could buy a box of 500 of them for, you know, a couple bucks at that point. And, yeah, they, they would go and shoot them. And now people are like, oh, man, you got to have, you know, a 338 Lapua. And I'm like, you don't <laughs> have to have that gun for really anything in North America. But I'm sure it gets the job done also. You know, I was talking to all those guys up uh, for the moose hunt, and I just asked them, I said, I said, I'm sure rifle is a, pre a preference. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, uh, uh, most of us guides, the guides use 3030s. And there's guys, oh, man, you want to use 3030 on a moose. But, yeah, well, you know, if you're a good shot, you're a good shot. That's yeah. And uh, I've had guys that I've taken to the range to shoot that are really good shooters, but they're very poor hunters. Yeah. And sometimes it's, they, they're not the same, you know, and that's uh, – one thing I wanted to touch on, when you were growing up, did you guys drive deer? They had the oh, deer yeah. drives. Absolutely. So I got a couple of deer drive stories that are kind of interesting. Uh, YouTube, if like I say, if you go back to YouTube and search Pennsylvania deer drives, I won't tell you the guy's name, but he'll pop up and watch that craziness. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I'm going to write that down in my notes as oh, we're talking. Oh, you got to watch it because it is the craziest thing you ever saw. A bear comes out, runs right over top of them. They shoot like nine times. Never touch the bear. There are deer <laughs> running every direction. There, and the guy, you can see the guys in the back out, and they're shooting left and right. And oh, it's 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 insane. So we were we were growing up before we actually could hunt. My uh, had a couple uncles that would come down from St. Lawrence County, northern part of New York, and hunt with my dad a couple of days. And, so we were 13, 14. So we were deer dogs and we went out and we would walk through the woods. And we never see anything, but they all shot deer. And uh, so later on when we had the property and we would hunt and, and uh, I wasn't a big fan of dry, I would rather hunt by myself or with a couple other people. Uh, we had some friends that uh, would, would get together every year. They'd call me up. Hey, uh, we're gonna gather Saturday. We got 20 guys coming, uh, are you in? uh no i'm gonna be out of town <laughs> saturday and so they would hunt across from our property we could see them from our side of our hill and there'd be eight ten guys uh walking eight or ten guys watching and the deer would always come out too low and come across the road and they never would see them every time and they'd be hooting and hollering and yelling and hitting pots and pans and it was the craziest thing i ever saw <laughs> 
And uh, how somebody didn't get in a crossfire, I don't know. But yeah, we we used to do deer drives, and typically we wouldn't do it. That was like a that was a slow part of the week thing. You know, everybody hunts; they sit still in their tree stands or on their bucket for the first or for opening weekend. And then typically, a lot of the deer drives would happen either middle of the week, or they would happen uh, on the closing weekend once the deer quit moving quite as much and yeah we would go out and holy cow man it was me and my brother my cousins and it was always the kids we were the drivers and if especially on a wet year not all the corn would get cut down and so then we'd just be zigzagging down these corn rows that might be 300 yards long and then here we've got my dad and my uncle and they both shot lever action 30 30s one of them was my dad shot a side eject. My uncle shot a top eject. Neither of them had scopes on them. And they would sit in this open field at the end waiting for the deer to push out. And it wasn't uncommon to do it. And you'd hear four, five, six shots at a deer that's booking it out of the corn. And you'd get over there and nobody has anything. Or maybe they hit it and now we got to go track it. So it's, it's still a pretty common thing up there. I mean, we've got neighbors in the valley that we hunt that they do a big deer drive every year since since my my parents and my aunts and uncles have been getting older we don't do the deer drives as much they don't really sit um in those spots uh they just stay put where they're at in the woods basically all week long the one deer drive is a many years ago that i finally went on with these guys and they're a bunch of older gentlemen at that time it's funny because i say that now now i'm the older gentleman but the uh they had a bunch of deer tags and it was a, it was the back of an old golf course and stuff. It's a pretty good piece of property. So they said, well, you, you, you're probably better shot than us getting this little funnel and we're going to push some deer. And we got about eight tags. So, so how many deer you want? I said, well, you know, shoot eight if you want. So, so I'm, I, I had an 1100 uh, Remington with a really good scope on it back in the day. It was a very good slug gun. So I set up on this little, uh, but the deer were going to push out. There was a little tiny sliver between uh, where this little lake or pond was and, and hardwood. So I stood right there. All of a sudden, they're walking down through, and and here comes the first deer. And uh, it was a doe, so I'm like 40 yards. I shoot. Deer goes down. Uh, 30 seconds later, another one right behind it. Shoot. That deer goes down. So I shot four, four right in a row, and another 30 went through there, I bet. Oh my gosh. So I got four deer on a dead. They're all dead, almost laying on each other. And so finally all the guys come through and, and uh, a guy goes to me, goes, that all you shot? There was more deer than that. Said, that was enough. <laughs> four deer down. This is plenty. So they were, they were upset that I didn't shoot another four. But uh, that was about the I think the last drive I went on. I just, uh, I don't know. It was it, A lot of guys still do it here, but it, it used to be really crazy. I mean, back when you can ride in the back of a pickup truck without being arrested, yeah, uh, it was it was a thing to do. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in getting in on a deer drive again. We we've done it here in Missouri, but we don't do like a big push. You know, at most we'll have four or five guys, and we'll push a small twelve acre patch of woods. And you know, I don't think we've ever actually even had success with it here. But to see some of the the big woods. That's the other thing. We've never pushed a big chunk of woods because where we hunt, um, 
it would be really it would be really hard to even drive the 40 acres that we hunt because it's like a big square and so it's like you'd need a lot of guys to cover that the width of it or you know the length of it north and south but i watched some of these videos uh, like from pennsylvania from michigan where they'll get 20 or 30 guys and then you've got people posted all along this ridge line and to watch the deer and how they act, you know, once they get 200 yards out in front of the drive line, and then they kind of stop and turn around and they're looking to make sure they're clear. And uh, I think there was a meat eater episode like that. They did a flintlock hunt and uh, everything kept going wrong with their flintlock rifles. Um, but yeah, multiple opportunities, pretty close at these deer that were getting pushed. I'd like to experience that at some point. I remember one time we, we were, we had a guy just walking through our property, basically. It wasn't really a deer drive and it was quite a ways away. This is many years ago before the property grew up the way it did. And I could, I was watching Banaka like four or 500 yards away as this guy was walking across the field and uh, he was walking to me. So I'm watching him and in the binoculars, I see this buck come out within 30 yards and then stop and let him and the buck let the guy walk right by him and then the buck went right on his track and went out the other way as he got closer to me so my buddy ray ray's passed on now but uh, he says to me he goes yeah god i didn't see nothing i said ray there was two bucks right in this field bullshit there was nothing i didn't see anything <laughs> well he didn't but uh, they were both there and uh, sometimes uh I remember those guys that when they would drive across the road there and we would watch the deer, the, the, the bigger box would turn back through the drivers and just run like heck and nobody would know what to do with them. Or they would come out the bottom. They never were covered correctly. But uh, yeah. you think with 20 guys, you could pretty well zip them in there. But, uh, but It's amazing like how say, stealthy get, they can be. Get out, get, yeah, I that's the thing you know there's always that theory of the driving do you want to make noise or do you want to walk and let the deer just kind of press ahead of you uh, i think pressing probably be better than you know letting them know exactly where you are but uh, like i say go, go on and look at some of that crazy video it's it's almost as crazy as hound hunting and watch those guys shoot at deer oh yeah oh my god like they're shooting trap <laughs> it really is they gotta i just can't imagine like a 12 gauge and shooting multiple rounds of buckshot through that like that does a number on your shoulder yeah and I you mean, got like four or five guys in a line they're shooting across each other yeah that nope, just not for me i mean i want to experience it like i, I want to go and see what hound hunting for deer is all about because i've always been the the type to say don't knock it till you try it and you know like they've been doing that for years and that's yeah, what they that's know big, of deer. And so I'd like to see what it's all about, see how I feel about it in the moment. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting hunting techniques and traditions that are, that could be its whole own podcast, like crazy hunting traditions Oh my God, or a yes. TV show. Could you imagine just traveling around and experiencing some of the stuff that people have done for generations? Yeah. Yeah, and they're convinced that uh, whatever. Well, if it works for them, it, you know, it works for them. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. I mean, what what's the weirdest thing that you've ever experienced in the woods? Because I mean, you've been hunting a long time, and I'll share mine first because this was wild, and I doubt there's many people who have had this exact experience. I was bow hunting in Wisconsin, 
and I'm sitting there and I hear uh, what I thought was like a doe bleat. And I kept hearing it over and over. And I was like, what in the world is that? And then I hear some crunching and I'm like, oh man, like I might have a deer coming in. Well, I look up to see a lady and she's in like almost a blue, like windbreaker outfit. And I might even be getting details of this wrong, but I know some of these are 100% accurate because I heard it and I see this lady and she was in a weird outfit. And I'm like, well, that's weird, first of all. And then I see that she has a sheep on a leash and she is walking it through the woods. She proceeds to walk it and ties it to a tree about 70 yards from me. I'm all in camo. I mean, this is back when I had the camo gloves, the camo mask, basically nothing but my eyes was exposed. And so now I've got to make movement. I'm on private land, the same land my family has been hunting all my life. And I'm making movement and I'm like, hey. And she looks up all startled. And I'm like, what's going on? Oh, we had, we had a ram get loose. And so I brought this you out here. It's in heat. And so I'm going to try to call the ram back to it. And so she leaves it tied up there while I'm deer hunting. <laughs> and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I was just blown away by it. So I sat for a short amount of time. And the only reason I did is because I thought I might have a coyote come in and try and eat that thing. And yes, I was going to try yeah. to shoot it with my bow. And then finally I got fed up and I just got down and left. And yeah, apparently she had a ram get loose. And so she tied a sheep out in my hunting woods and totally blew my hunt. I had a, I had a couple of crazy things. I remember I was, I was uh, bow hunting and it was late in bow season. It was almost gun season. And uh, I'd had the same buck coming in two or three mornings. So I, God, I couldn't wait to get back out. And I'd seen it a couple of times, nice six, six point. So I'm going to stand one morning and it was cold and I heard crunch, 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 crunch coming. But it sounded a little odd. It was really heavy. And I said, wow, that, but you know, I hadn't really, that's got to be a deer. It can't be anything else. So finally, all of a sudden out of the brush comes a horse. And the <laughs> horse walks right by my tree stand and just stands there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just shaking my head and there's this horse standing under the tree stand. And it had a bridle on, I guess, and a rope. And I said, well, there's a horse with a bridle and a rope but no rider. <laughs> and um, 10 minutes later, the horse just kind of skipped on and went, went on his way. And I thought that was the craziest thing ever. Never saw the horse again and had no clue where it came from. No so, information. It's just always been a mystery, huh? There was a horse right in the middle of the woods. <laughs> that was after I stopped uh, drinking when I was a young man. So I don't want to hear part of that. So and I had a, uh, that's funny. I had a uh, doe and a spike horn one time come up through and I was watching for quite a while and they were just kind of moseying around before for the rut and everything they're just kind of hanging out and I had a very nice ladder stand and my log home was only about maybe a 200 yards from my stand so it was getting toward dark they worked their way up and the doe laid down so close to the tree stand or the ladder that she was pushing on the ladder well the spike on corn and laid on the other side so they're both laying underneath me <laughs> and I'm leaned out watching them and they're totally oblivious. You know, I'm 12 foot above them, never hearing, never, you know, they just never smell me. And now it's getting dark and, you know, I don't want to blow them out of there, but uh, eventually I dropped a couple things on the ground and they got up and walked away and it was really cool. But I mean, you talk about scent control and all the stuff that you use and 
Uh, I was late getting out that day. I had nothing on hardly at all for scent. Uh, totally, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I'm up in the air on all that stuff. Uh, you know, some days it works. I, I'm sure like uh, grunt calls and rattling horns. Uh, you know, I've had a little success on that, but sometimes it's, I've scared more deer sometimes when a grunt yeah. call than I actually called. Uh, but, you know, if you're here grunting in the woods that day, you better have your grunt call with you. Yeah, you know, because it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I've called a couple know. deer in. It's definitely not a foolproof method of hunting. I think it's Fred Bear who says like the best camouflage is sit still and shut up. Yeah, I that or something al- along the lines of that. He's like, you know, your your parents and grandparents killed deer in a red flannel and blue jeans, and so right. yeah, the whole argument of like you have to do this, you have to do that. There's a thousand ways to kill a deer. I mean, there really are. Carson out the bear camp, his big thing, he loves deer hunters to come because we have patience. Yeah. We can sit in a tree stand and sit there. Uh, you know, he, he likes that because that's how you get bears. You know, you, you got to be patient. You got to sit there and be quiet. Yeah. Uh, but talk about colors. You're talking, uh, bear has been, uh, bears can see orange. Interesting. And when you get in your stand and you take all your orange off, and then when you come out, you put it back on because they need to see you in it. But uh, they actually can see the color. Hmm. That's so yeah. that's so wild to me. Even how do you figure that out? Like when people talk about dogs being colorblind, I'm like, did it tell you? Like, how do how do they test the dog? Yeah, it's really interesting the concept. But then also, I hear that animals or even people that are colorblind can see patterns in a different a difference in patterns better. So like you, you're actually, for those that are full on colorblind, like they see in grayscale, apparently it's easier for them to pick someone out in camo in the woods than it would be for you or I too. Really? Yeah. When we were kids, of course, we all had, we had plaid, you know, the old, the hundred red and black and, uh, they had, Malone, they had, uh, Wolverts coats and Malone coats were big in the Northeast. And my dad had a full outfit of uh, Woolrich. He always wore front or top and bottom. And I'll never forget uh, him coming through the woods. I would see him coming and he was black. I mean, you couldn't see him at all. You know, everybody said, oh, we're, we're the red because they can see you. Well, you couldn't see him at all. It was terrible the, that way. I mean, yeah. then when he finally used to, he would put on a, for less than orange vest later on when he hunted and you could spot that from three miles, but that plaid, I mean, it was dark. I mean, there was no visual at all on that stuff. It was go take a bear and move into the woods. It was so dark, even in, you know, in bright days, it was hard to see. And everybody's oh yeah, you got to wear that. But I don't know if you ever wore any of that, but that old wool when it got wet was, was not fun. No. No, we, we, we are blessed with so much better gear right now as far as clothing, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I had three older sisters, and I've got a younger brother, but it was like I would just get all the hand-me-down hunting clothes because my mom and dad both hunted. All three of my sisters hunted at one point or another. Only only one of them does now, but I would get like the old wool socks even that had been worn so much that they were stretched out. I mean, laying there, you couldn't even tell it was a sock, but they were all gray and they had a red band that was about oh, three yeah, inches yeah. wide around the top. Um, and then I remember 
we had the heated socks at one point that actually had a battery pack attached to the sock. And I thought that was the coolest thing until all of a sudden they recalled them because people's feet were catching on fire. Um, oh, I've had, I've had any number of hand-me-down things, the wool hats, uh, the bomber hats, the full blaze orange jumpsuits. I mean, I look like I just got like escaped from a prison bus out there. Oh man. I, I feel like that should, there needs to be a hunting clothing museum somewhere where you can just go through and see all the crazy stuff that we've come up with wearing. We just uh, come through Pennsylvania a little while ago in Woolrich, Pennsylvania. It's the name of the town where Woolrich was made. And they have a Woolrich uh, store there and a little museum with hunting clothes, which oh, is really nice. cool. And you look at their stuff from the 20s and 30s and they were groundbreaking then. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's the plaid, you know, what everybody used. And that was uh, uh, pretty cool to see. And they, they demand a lot of money. If you find them, the, you know, people really like, really will pay for those. See, but, to this day, my favorite uh, clothing item that I have is an old, old blotch camo Cabela's jacket. And I bought that for $15 at a thrift store. And my wife just happened to see it. And she's like, oh, check that out. This thing, I'm telling you, you could put me in a hurricane in the Arctic and I would not feel the cold get through that. I mean, it's completely waterproof, pockets everywhere. I mean, it's big. It even has the elastic band on the inside with like a double button to yes. keep the wind out from below. And I still have it. Even though I've bought all First Light stuff, I will not ever get rid of that jacket. And in fact, I've gone on eBay to try to, to, try to find the matching bibs for it. Because I would love to get the the set, and that that would be my waterfowl setup. Nice, nice. So you had a pretty good waterfowl year, correct? Good on ducks and geese. Yeah, we did. We did pretty good. I mean, I got to actually travel a little bit this year. Uh, went up to Wisconsin with the guys from Buck Gardner. They came up from Tennessee and Mississippi, and uh, we went up to Wisconsin. Me and a buddy drove up. They flew up and met us, and we we did really well on waterfowl up there. And in fact, this year we're going to do a couple different hunts with them. So I've had invites to the Dakotas, Minnesota, even the Northeast for cacklers, which I'm, I'm really curious about. And then, uh, a guy I've been talking with him quite a bit on Instagram. He wants me to come down and chase after some ducks down in Texas, which that's probably one that I'm most excited for. Cause they have cinnamon teal down there. Now those and, is that those sea ducks or inland ducks or what are, what are you hunting? No, ducks? yeah, so they're just puddle ducks. I mean, teal teal are just a real small, fast flying duck, and uh, we we see a lot of green wings around here, occasionally blue wings, but they're tiny. And when they wad up and fly together, I mean, it's just like a group of bombers or like at an air show watching the Blue Angels like just whipping back and forth <laughs> all in formation. That's what these things feel like. Um, but there's one called a cinnamon teal and it is gorgeous. It's like a really rich maroon color, black bill. It's got blue, white, and green on the wingtips. And nice. that's aside from getting like a really freak hybrid duck, like I want a Drake Mallard pintail hybrid. I think that'd be cool. But this, this is like probably top of my bucket list on waterfowl species. Yeah, I, I was telling before our goose population is crazy here. Uh, they don't even go 
in the winter they, they stay here year-round most of them and uh, oh, they man. guys limit out all the time there's so many and uh like i say when i was a kid there was zero zero i mean there was none but we did have mallards and uh mallards were, were fun and uh we hunt them on the river across from my dad's business when we were kids so they come right down the river. They say there'll be six or seven in a row. I remember going over there and I had a, uh, I used my trap gun for uh, duck hunting. So we go down there and uh, we, I had a couple of buddies, and like four or five came, these uh, mallards like hooked right to each other. They were just flying. I remember I pulled up, shot, knocked down the last bird. And my buddy said, that's a great shot. I said, but I was aiming at the first duck. <laughs> I was only off about 12 feet. So that was, uh, you learned a lot from that kind of stuff. And that was fun. Uh, but I think uh, maybe geese hunting again, goose hunting again, might be something to get into again, because there are so many. And a lot, a lot, of, the, a lot of the farmers will let you hunt them on their cornfields and stuff, because there's just way too many of them. But it is. I mean, waterfowl has a special place in my heart just for the camaraderie side of it. You know, you can all get together. You don't have to worry about scent. You don't have to worry about movement. You can't, you don't have to be quiet until that like moment when the birds are coming in. And then it's like, just don't move. Don't move for the next 30 seconds. Wait for them to cup up, pull the trigger, and then you can go back to talking or fooling around or telling jokes. And so... I really like the camaraderie side of it. And then obviously shooting things out of the air. There's just something. Yeah, that's it just always, feels good. Uh, it's just like, dude, I just smoked that thing. But then you have guys like Tim Wells who archery hunt for ducks. I've seen and I've I'm seen like, oh gosh. Yeah. I could get into that. I definitely I could go on a moose hunt or a, a mountain caribou hunt for cheaper than it would cost me to get my first duck with the amount of arrows I would lose. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen some of those videos, and it's pretty impressive that uh, they can hit something out of the air like that. I mean, that's a lot of practice. Yeah. We had a uh, friend of ours when we were growing up. He was a little older than us, but he he shot trap with a twenty-two. And uh, I'm not kidding you. He would uh, he was as good as anybody with a shotgun that I know. He threw oh five gosh. birds out there, and he bust every one of them with a twenty-two. That and, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. And uh, he just had a natural, you know, shot. I think there are some people that have are, you know, natural shots, and he was one of them. Uh, it was pretty incredible to watch. You know, he'd go down there, and he'd break four or five birds in a row, and you'd shoot five rounds out of your shotgun, hit two birds, and go home because, you know, <laughs> he's shooting them out of the, you know, with a 22. It's like crazy. But, yeah, I can't imagine that. I mean, I've... I've really wanted to try to rabbit hunt with a 22. I mean, a stationary rabbit, that's easy. But uh, hunting behind beagles, like, I feel like that'd be a lot of fun when they're running to try to pick them off with a little semi-auto 22. Um, I tried to shoot trap one time. My buddy bought a judge, the four, like yeah. the revolver that takes yeah. a 410. 410. And so we brought <laughs> some 410 birdshot rounds out, <laughs> and we were trying to shoot trap with those well i burned through about 25 rounds without ever even breaking a chunk off the clay and i said screw this i'm done yeah that's 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 a tough road right there the uh i grew up uh, shooting trap with a couple little trap ranges it was but i was pretty good you know i shot a lot and it, it wasn't really that hard 
but sporting clays, we we would we'd went and uh, had these friends of mine years ago. They wanted me to go with them, so I went and they had. That's the first time I'd seen seen the rabbit on the ground. They rolled it, so we had I think it was eight or nine stations, and we get all done. We tallied up who did what, and and I broke, you know, three times what they did. That was the last time they asked me back too. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess they didn't want anybody to shoot with them that could outshoot them, but that was a lot of fun. So yeah, I enjoyed that. I always have self-confidence going into dove season and waterfowl season because for the longest time, all we had were the orange hand throwers, mm-hmm. slide the clay in and you whip yep. it out there. And so going out and shooting those, I could probably break 23 out of 25, maybe even a perfect 25 round. And then you go to an actual sporting clay place or you go out and try to shoot doves that are whipping past you at 45, 50 miles an hour. And I'm like, what happened? (laughs) I did all this practicing and yeah, not even close to the same thing. And so we decided uh, a couple of friends went in and got a, an automatic thrower with a remote that you could do from like a hundred yards away or whatever. And so now we do a lot more lifelike flight simulations where we're having the clays flying straight at us. And it's like, you got to hit them before they get to you. Cause if they go over your head where we hunt, you know, they're going to be in tall grass or corn. You're never going to find that bird without a dog. Right. And so, uh, yeah, that's definitely changed, but that, that humbles you quickly when you do those crossing shots or those straight at you shots. It well, gets one, one time we went and they had high speed cameras and it would tell you where you shot. Yeah. There's one. Yeah. What is that called? Is it the shot cam? And you were, uh, most people were shocked where yeah. their shot actually went. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious. I've never used one. I, I saw them advertise one day and I was like, no way. It'll actually tell you your pattern. Like yep. where it is would, in comparison uh, to the clay. We went one time, we shot, and they w- would just flip the computer up and said, "Here's where your shots were." And uh, either you hit a bird or you were way off the bird. Interesting. So it was, uh, you know, majority of uh, wing shooters, especially new ones. You know, they, especially if you're a rifle shooter. I mean, it's such a different. The whole venue is so different. And uh, I always shot shotgun, rifles, and handguns all at the same time. So you had three disciplines that were pretty much all different to be good at. So, but it was much better with the handgun and rifle. I was okay with the shotgun, but uh, uh, I only have one. I have a 1100 Remington special field that came out years ago with a 26 inch improved cylinder. And that's the only shotgun that I actually had to hunt with. And you do everything with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll do everything. And uh, but I had a, Sold my trap guns years ago, but this I actually shot better with this non-trap gun than I did actually the, the real trap guns. Yeah. But that was uh, the shooting. My wife is shooting now handguns, so we uh, we get out once a week or so. We go uh, shoot, and it's been a lot of fun with you know shooting with her, and uh, she'll listen to this, I'm sure, and so I give her props how good a shot she really is, and I have. Uh, actually taught many uh different women to shoot and uh, they shoot well yeah Um, they don't argue with you and they don't have uh, predisposed uh thoughts of what they're going to do you say this is what we're going to do hold a gun like this see what you do and most of them are pretty darn good so yeah my my friend tim's mom 
uh, she was number one at, in shooting in the military in her class. And uh, they said that a lot of times women are better shooters, better marksmen all the way around. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, they make some of the best snipers uh, for long range shooting because of that same thing. They don't come in with all of these ideas or predispositions as far as how they're supposed to shoot. They just come in and they hear what the instructors say and they do what they say. And I'm like, man, there's times when I wish I could like wipe out the bad habits that I've <laughs> formed when it yeah. comes to doing yeah. all this stuff and just learn from scratch, really become a student of what someone's telling me to do. Yeah. You know, especially in rifle shooting, there's a couple of guys we get together and we shoot and, and uh, you know, long distance for us is 200 yards. We don't shoot much farther than that, but you know, I have uh, my Weatherby 308 uh, after I broke it in and shot. I have a buddy that my buddy Mike handles for me. And, but I can shoot. I've shot off benches and uh, 100 yards, three rounds, less than a quarter inch. I yeah. mean, that is very good shooting. But you're shooting off a bench and, you know, you shot enough. I mean, but the, the gun's tight and the ammo is good. And I like that kind of shooting. And that that's always fun. But uh, the handgun is just uh, always been a uh, a little harder to not everybody can shoot them no uh you shoot them well i mean a lot of guys can shoot ammunition but uh <laughs> you know we have we've uh we have a lot of fun with that and uh we have a group of guys who get together and there may be like 12 different handguns that night everybody shoots everybody else's uh 44 mags and nine millimeters and 380s and 22s and you know just a whole bunch of stuff and See what you like, and so actually Thursday night we might be shooting tonight. So oh, nice. Well, yeah, I don't want to keep you super long. I know we're over an hour now, and I am about to go get my podcast stuff set up again to record a pre-frog gigging episode. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. And... Let me tell you. Let me tell you a little frog gigging story of mine. We used to get frog like we had a couple little ponds up on our property, and, and uh, we would shoot them on a twenty-two. Yeah. And uh, you, you know how big those bullfrogs can be. They're big. And we always laughed because you ever want to get rid of a girlfriend, take her to a barbecue and throw on some frog legs. <laughs> and usually that's the last time you will see them. So <laughs> we used to call that uh, when we got frog legs. I want to know if anybody needed to break up with a girl. That would, <laughs> that would always work. So but they were good and, and good luck with that. I mean, they're very, very tasty. So. Yeah. Yeah, we enjoy it. We typically get a bunch of them. We'll go out for the next couple nights um, until we've got our our uh, possession limits, and then we will throw them all in salt water and let them soak until the fourth. Which this year I think we're celebrating it on the third. Yeah, and um, we we batter them up and deep fry them, and we've got a giant Fourth of July party here that everybody comes out for. So. Sweet. Normally, there's not enough frog legs to go around, though. I typically don't even get to eat some of them because we want other people to try them for yeah. the first time. How many times has somebody said, I don't want them, and they try them, and you can't get enough of them? Oh, that was me. First time. Great. I moved to Missouri. I'm like, what kind of backwoods <laughs> redneck crap do you guys have going on? You catch frogs and eat their legs? And, and so this whole time, I'm thinking, oh, this is like snipe hunting, right? You know, I'm going to go out there and they're, I'm going to catch a frog and they're going to convince me to eat it and I'll laugh at me. And sure enough, th this guy, Jeremy, he took me out. We caught a bucket load of frogs. I mean, a ton of them. And 
I look over and he's already got one on a spit roasting it over the fire. And I'm just like, oh, here we go. He's going to offer it to me. And so, you know, I'm getting mine all together like I'm roasting a marshmallow over the fire. And I look over and he's already digging into his. And I'm like, no kidding. This is real. Like he actually is eating these. And I'm like, dude, I thought you were messing with me. He's like, no, dude, you better hurry. I mean, I'm plowing through these quickly. And so I tried it and I was like, dang, that's pretty good. It's like chicken. It's like 75% chicken, 25% fish is how I try to describe it to people. I mean, it's definitely got that mix of the two and then its own flavor in there. But yeah, when you fry it up, man, it is good eating. You throw them on the grill and they jump around a little bit. They, they do, yeah. That. Oh, well, when you put them in salt water, holy cow, do they start twitching. I mean, you'll <laughs> see their toes going. You'll see their legs contracting. I'm like, I've never seen just a pair of legs not attached to a body jump around, but they do. Yeah, that brings back some memories to old frogs. But, uh, you know, we were kids, we ate about everything. So there's uh, not much I wouldn't try out there. And most of it's pretty good, so. Yeah. Well, Jim, well, I promise I, you one moose. I promise you a moose call before I went. Oh yes, I'm so glad you remembered. I have the worst memory for things like. Well, this. I'm going to give you a little look. Uh, the good guys just do it in their hand. They're no or the megaphone. So, Ooh. Ooh. there you go. Dude, I love it. I'm excited to hear the story of that calling a moose in because. So we want to. I'm going to. I'm going to call one in and uh, hopefully, as I, I got some stuff from the outfitter today. So nice. It's going to take a while. I mean, it'll be here before we know it. And uh, but the summer, I, I want to wish you and your family a great summer. And I want to thank you for the uh, having me on, and thank you for the friendship and uh, keep in touch with each other and. Uh, one thing about you, if I do email, you always email me back, which is good. Uh, unlike some other outfits that I have emailed and never heard from ever, uh, I won't say it's a meat eater, but it, it might be. <laughs> I put some, sent them some stuff and I've never heard anything. But I don't know if they're that busy or just ignored me. So I'm not sure what, where they are on that. But, uh, um, and I think that I see you're moving up on your list of, uh, of podcasts for uh how they rate them i don't know how the rating goes but uh yeah it's a it's a mystery to me i mean i i see the number changing and i'm like oh that's sweet that's exciting but you know at the end of the day i just enjoy making connections and i want to thank you for hopping on i definitely appreciate the conversations that we have all the texts and pictures that you send me, the heartbreaking ones where <laughs> you've turned all three floors of your house into an open skylight. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to many more conversations like this and I look forward to getting together in person one day and doing a hunt. Well, together. you know, and I wanted to throw that out there too. If there's ever a time where you are sitting around and you're saying, man, who do I, who can I go hunting with? You give me a call. All right. And, uh, well, I'd love to make that connection and I will travel out and uh, go with you. And I think that'd be great. So uh, especially now uh, without <laughs> a lot of prospects for the fall, I will, but I will hunt deer and uh, I will get deer. But like we said before with the uh, it's uh, it's time to switch that up a little bit. And uh, uh, you know, I've, I've had my share that's for sure of deer. Yeah. So, but it, uh, I would, I wouldn't mind, uh, mentoring some 
you know, younger guys or girls and, you know, into hunting again, because the fastest growing part of our hunting in our area are uh, definitely women. Yeah. Uh, our license sale is the only thing that's up. It's pretty flat except for that. So a lot, a lot of girls hunting and, uh, you know, you go to the gun shops and, you know, 20 years ago, just be a bunch of guys telling stories. And now you go and it's, there's guys, but there's a lot of females there and, and uh, they're telling stories too, which is really good to hear. Yeah. So they're, they're not afraid to get out there and, uh, you know, tell stories or, you know, so the, the gun shop still remains a uh, mainstay in our area. Yeah. First time I took my stepson, I told, he goes, what goes on there? I said, well, you just sit back and listen. <laughs> we get back in the car after two and a half hours. He goes, oh my God. <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah a lot of attitude a lot of a lot of, a lot of uh, you know a lot of stuff everybody's setting their ways and we had a big discussion that night on the six five creedmoor when it first came oh out. yeah you know there's guys that love them and there's guys that hate them and there's guys that don't own one never shot one i have no opinion on the gun yeah my opinion is like anything else if you make a good shot with i don't care what you're using you're probably going to get your animal yeah it's not the caliber i mean it's you know you got to be good you got to practice and you know a lot of guys don't practice you know they pull their gun out a week for the season knock the dust off and they were ready to go yeah no i agree with all that well jim you have a good season this year i'm looking forward to hearing the updates uh chatting more about the the moose hunt and as you're getting prepared for that and um yeah we'll this is only gonna number. This is only number two of a lot of conversations we're gonna have. Yeah, so. I agree. I really enjoy this, and and I and I, I like the idea. You know, I, I know you, you're on social media and do a lot of things, but you can tell that uh, the family man and 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 the good man comes out. You know, and stuff that you do, which is uh, that's important to me too. To have people like this to this chat with. So keep up the good work, and uh, uh, God bless you and your family. And you know, let me know. I want to know about the frogs and we'll be in touch. Sounds good, Jim. Thanks a lot. All right, my friend. Take care. You too. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Like I said at the intro, I always enjoy talking to Jim. It's This is going to be a guy that is on the podcast for a lot of years to come. And hopefully, like we mentioned, we can get on a hunt together. But I really am looking forward to seeing how his uh northern canada hunts go what a cool deal to like start planning those out also i'm currently recording as i have been for a couple days now in my buddy's office at his house we're house sitting for him things have been going a million miles an hour in our lives it seems like but i just talked to his wife and i don't know if this is a secret for him yet or not but she mentioned that she's sending him to alaska with a group of us next year and it's his 40th birthday coming up along with a couple of my other buddies 40th birthdays and so we may be planning a really big Alaska trip and I hope they all know about it because I don't really like doing the whole like plan it and surprise them I'd rather all just plan the most BA Alaska trip of all time and so it looks like I'm going to be carrying on my streak of going to Alaska every other year and I could not be more excited about it. So that being said, we're going to wrap this one up and hopefully you guys have your own trips that you're planning on and getting really excited about hunting season is not that far away. And 
I am about to head out to Send It Slam. It's up in Louisville, Kentucky. It's on the 9th. So I've got from the time I'm recording this to the time I leave is like four days. If you're listening to this as it comes out, only two days. So if you're in the area, if you're interested at all, please come join me at Send It Slam. I'm super excited going to meet up with some of the guys from the O2 podcast. My buddy Jordan that I went on a hog hunt this with this year, he's going to be there. And we're just going to have an amazing time doing the archery shoot, going and checking out the music and all the vendors, stopping and making connections. Oh, it's going to be great. So try to make it there. But until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.